Oh, good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Raul, and uh, I get the privilege of uh, preaching the word to you this morning. And as you can tell, I have a little friend with me. So last night, I was doing dishes, and I was kind of doing them frantically, clanging the pots and the pans, and my oldest son, Solomon, uh, he asked me, Dad, what's wrong? <laughs> and, uh, and so I told him, I said, hey, I'm a little nervous, a little nervous about preaching tomorrow because I'm preaching about God's justice as well as the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And he looked at me like, like he didn't know what I was talking about. And, uh, and <laughs> but I said, but I'm just a little nervous because it's, you know, they're big topics and it's an intersection and it's like, I don't know how it's going to go. And he said, you know what you need? You need a stuffy. So this is Roy. Roy's been in our family for many years. He's pretty beat up, but he's my go-to stuffy in in the games. So I'm just going to leave Roy here. Uh, He's just going to look over us here. So thank you, Solomon. I know he's watching. Um, But uh, I I also want this to be kind of like a symbol of childlike faith. Uh, These subjects are big. You say justice and some people get triggered, right? And various different perspectives, uh, uh, commitments, convictions about what justice is and who it's for and how we're supposed to play it out. And likewise, the baptism of the Spirit that is given on Pentecost that is described in Acts 2 at times can feel elusive. Some come from traditions where this isn't very common, but perhaps they experienced a level of spiritual abuse. And for others, they, they don't even, it, yes, the Spirit, we agree, right? But that's not exactly what we're talking about. We're not talking about the Spirit that is put, uh, the, the work of the Spirit put in us when we say yes to Jesus Christ. That's, that's the restoration. That is, that is the new life, yes. But we're talking about the Spirit of God empowering us to do supernatural acts in which God chooses to do through us. Those are big topics, right? We're talking about the cross, and we're talking about Pentecost. Maybe a a good way to maybe describe where we're going today is to say, let's, let's approach this with curiosity. Let's approach this in a way where we're discovering together, because I'm not going to give you the answer about justice today, right? But together we can maybe discover a new layer of what was happening on Pentecost Sunday and how that leads us to understand more about God's justice. Think of it this way. When a person is healed, when they're restored, when they're reconciled or made whole, they must be shown how to live in that life because they've been living in a broken life, right? And they've learned how to live that way. But when you receive healing, when, you res- when you're restored, there's a road to walk where you learn to live into that healing. You learn to live into that wholeness. The cross makes the broken whole. And Pentecost authorizes those with a broken, now healed life to take hold of their life and live into God's goodness, into God's promises. That's the intersection of the cross and Pentecost. I want to read out for us how Jesus brings this together, spirit and justice. 
He says this in Luke 4, starting in verse 18. He is in the temple. He goes and he grabs the, the, the scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading out of Isaiah 61, a prophecy about himself. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news, good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, and he sits down, and he says, in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. What's powerful about this is there's kind of a a two-part aspect here, right? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, upon him for power, and he is anointed by God to do a certain work. That is always what happens when the spirit of the Lord is poured out upon anybody. It is not simply for their own spiritual experience or satisfaction. It is always when the spirit is poured out, it is for God's work for others. So Jesus says, the spirit is upon me to do a work. And what is he here to do? He's here to preach good, to, to bring justice to the poor, to prisoners, to the blind, and to the oppressed, and to usher in the year of the Lord's favor, which another way to say that is Jubilee. Jubilee took place, well, should have taken place. I don't know that it ever actually historically did. Should have taken place every 50 years. And every 50 years, you would leave the land fallow, not work it for a year. You would cancel debts. You would release people from prison. Every 50 years, a Jubilee would come. And this is what Jesus has come to proclaim in the power of the Spirit. So let's take this a little bit at a time. Let's look at justice first. That word justice in the Hebrew is tizedek. Tizedek is the word for justice. And I want to have us kind of take a look at two different forms of tizedek, of justice, as restorative, restorative justice, and retributive justice. Retributive justice, simply put, or an easy way to reference it, is like eye for an eye, right? It's about fairness. So somebody does something wrong, they get a a requisite punishment, or they have to pay back uh, maybe a little more. It is making, it's kind of trying to uh, make it equal and fair. Retributive justice, in my perspective, is for the strong, and it's against the weak. You can kind of see this even in our own prison system right? We have our prison systems, and they are literally almost built for black and brown folks. And there's a whole lot of factors that go into that, but it creates this kind of, it's, it's about this supposed fairness. It's not about restoring those that are there. It's about making sure they get a requisite punishment for the things that they've done. This is retributive justice. Restorative justice is a lot more of what we read about in Scripture. Because God isn't interested in the punishment of his people. He's interested in the restoration of his people, restoration to community, restoration to the image of God in them. It seems to me that restorative justice, it is from the strong 
for the weak. It's from the strong for the weak because the goal of it is not equality, but it's equity, that each receives what they need. So I'm going to use this uh, definition. There's lots of definitions of justice out there. But this one from John Perkins is the one I'm going to use kind of as our, uh, the one we're going to keep referring to today, our control, if you will. Justice is any act of reconciliation that restores any part of God's creation back to its original intent, purpose, or image. So Perkins here is talking about God's vision for justice, restorative justice, that it is about restoring any part of God's creation back to its original intent, purpose, or image. See, and the thing about restorative justice that is given from the strong to those in need is that it requires a real, a very real and tangible material sacrifice in order to bring it about. God's justice is focused primarily on the economically poor and the socially powerless, right? So we have the widow, the fatherless, the blind, the prisoner, the poor, the oppressed. A real and tangible sacrifice is needed to begin restoration of these economically poor and socially powerless. And yet, in the West... Material, mammon, has long been our little G, God, our idol. It, 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 this actually keeps us from pursuing restorative justice in partnership with Jesus, the kinds of justice that Jesus calls us to. Something powerful has to happen to us, right? Something powerful has to happen to us, supernatural, to change our hearts and our priorities so that we might even entertain giving away our abundance of material wealth or our social capital, even our privilege to those in need. And that's where Pentecost comes in. That's where Pentecost comes in. What happened on Pentecost and what does it have to do with justice? I want to read some excerpts out of Acts 2. You can follow on the screen. Peter, once the Spirit is poured out on the disciples and people start questioning what's going on, Peter stands up filled with the Spirit of God and he begins to preach a sermon. And the majority of the sermon is from the Old Testament. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I just want to read this portion that is, comes from Joel 2. So again, a prophecy about what's called the day of the Lord. And this, we're, the day of the Lord, we're not talking about the second coming of Christ. We're talking about what actually happened on Pentecost. So this is Peter quoting Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. And then skip forward. The sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the people are cut to the heart and they say, oh, Jesus was Lord, okay, well, what should we do? And he says, well, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, right? And so they do and 3,000 are added that day 
And then it says this, they, what, what those people do, those 3,000 plus the disciples, it says, all the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Something happened here in these texts that show how Pentecost animates the cross in people's hearts so that they become justice-focused people. So God's Spirit comes down. There's there's tongues of fire that allow these diverse people, remember, because it's people from all over the region that didn't speak the same language. So it's a diverse people with diverse tongues, and they all of a sudden are unified by the Spirit and understand each other, and they become a new family. They become a new family. And, and so when they respond to Peter's sermon with the Spirit of God in them, they enter into a supernatural act of giving away their possessions to those who needed them. So each one had what they needed. I'll read that line again. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. This new humanity, this new family filled with the Spirit of God temporarily end poverty. Can we even... I mean, Jesus himself said, the poor will always be with you. And we know he's right. But it wasn't true on that Pentecost, where the Spirit of God so got into the people that he gave them a kingdom-mindedness, a justice-focused, so that they could understand what they needed to do when they looked at those in need and they looked at their possessions. I mean, we each here, we believe in the cross and the power of the cross, amen? Amen. And we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So how are we not experiencing what they experienced on Pentecost? What is the gap here between, between when, the, when the Spirit of God fell and they gave away their possessions? What's the gap in there that we are missing? I want to go to another Old Testament text that talks about the day of the Lord to help us kind of dig through to do this discovery. Like, what else is happening on Pentecost? We've read this many times. We've seen it. We understand it. And we see how they held things in, in common. But why aren't our hearts there? What is missing? So I'm going to read from uh, Malachi 4. Malachi 4, this is the last book of the Bible. It's literally the page right before the book of Matthew. Uh, And I want to read verses 1 through 2 of chapter 4. Look, the day is coming, burning like an oven. All the arrogant ones and all those doing evil will become straw. The coming day will burn them, says the Lord of heavenly forces, leaving, leaving them neither root nor branch. But the son of righteousness will rise on those revering my name. Healing will be in its wings so that you will go forth and jump about like calves in the stall. So the first part, this is talking about the day of the Lord. This is talking about Pentecost. And it says that on that day, 
those who don't believe will be burned up like straw. That, did that happen though? Right? Did the believers that, that didn't follow Jesus on that day get burned up? No. That didn't happen. That, that's very interesting. So that, that happened, but it didn't happen. So we're going to set that off to the side just for a second. But verse 2 talks about the coming Messiah and uses an interesting name for the coming Messiah. But the son of righteousness will rise on those revering my name. So we're going to do a little... Uh, we're going to do a little word study. And I don't want you to get lost in it, okay? Like, this is all really intriguing, interesting stuff. But it's really to help us understand about justice and what happened on Pentecost, all right? So we'll start with a slide here. So the word justice, we, as we said in the beginning, is this word tizedek. This is the Hebrew word for justice. It can be translated as righteousness, too. So that, that name, the son of righteousness, can also be said the son of justice. And that name, or that, the, the Hebrew there for the son of justice is Shemesh Tzedekah. Okay? So Shemesh Tzedekah in this, in this uh, text is talking about the Messiah, the, the, the son of, of justice who will come. Right? But it's interesting because this is also a proper name of the Canaanite sun god, Shemesh Tzedekah. Right? And so the next slide shows, let's just pull that word Shamish out. That word Shamish is the sun. And that word Shamish, who is the name of this Canaanite sun god, can also be used as Shamosh, which is the name of the Moabite sun god, as we see in 1 Kings eleven thirty-three. But what also continues to be interesting is that that name, that, that Moabite sun god, Shamosh, can also be interchanged with the sun god of the Ammonites named Molech. Because all through scripture we see that Molech is the Ammonite sun god, but in this one text they use Chemosh. So it seems that these are all different uh, national names for different sun gods for these uh, non-Yahweh following groups in the Old Testament. Jacob Bryant in in a... book called Ancient Mythology. He's kind of a mythologist, historian. He has this one line that kind of helps us understand these things. He says, I have mentioned that the nations of the ancient Near East acknowledged originally but one deity, the sun. So Shamish, Chemosh, Molech, and many others are but one God, the sun. This is worship of the sun in the sky. And what continues to be more interesting is that King Solomon, who we know was devoted to God, prayed to God, asked for wisdom, asked to lead his people, you know, and said, I will follow you. I will, I will uh, return your people to you. He actually built a temple for Shemesh, Shemosh, you know, Molech, whatever, for the people in Israel to worship this idol. And this idol worship would continue in, the, in Israel. This was on the Mount of Olives. Do we remember the Mount of Olives? <laughs> like, he built it there. And for 400 years, the Israel, uh, sun god worship would be a part of the worship of the Israelites who were to follow Yahweh only, right? 
This worship of the sun god is called naturalism. Naturalism. This is a, a way to understand it. It's the worship of the natural world, which embraces the natural forces to determine what is right. Naturalism rejects the notion of anything supernatural, a god, let alone Yahweh. All right. Shemosh Tizedeka. Let's bring it back together. So Shemesh, we can understand sun god. We'll just generally understand that as the sun god. And when you put that together, Shemesh Tizedeka, that is the son of justice. And people were looking towards the sun and naturalism to, to met out what is right in the world, what is just in the world, okay? And so what I want you to understand here is that, like, the question, what is at stake? What is at stake even looking at these, these kind of, this wordplay and everything? Is because this phrase, Shemesh Tizedekah, is both the son and the Messiah to come. And so what's, what's really at stake here is your worldview, What do you believe actually brings justice into the world? What do you believe determines who justice is for? Is it these natural means? Is it the Son of God? Malachi is actually asking us, is it going to be your idol or the one who saved you? The son of justice in the sky or the son of justice to come? Malachi's prophecy is literally setting up a standoff that will happen on the day of the Lord. A standoff between the true son of justice. The ones who looked to the sky for justice, they felt like the blessings or the strength that came through nature, this was the ends of justice. So, They're looking to natural forces for good crops, for retribution on their enemies, and for them to have this sense that through natural means, humans will be better, they'll be stronger, they'll be more intelligent through the forces of nature. Does that sound familiar at all? It should, because basically in our naturalism in our day, it's called Darwinism. Religious naturalists have a desire for justice and attempt to do what is right, but they have this overwhelming sense that survival of the fittest is the just and set course of all of our lives. We can make moral choices, but ultimately the course of nature is set and it bends towards the strong and the resilient. Is this even happening in, a, in the big C church? Can this perspective be seen in our, in our church here? Where maybe we favor those who are intelligent, well-educated, well-spoken, marketable people. Do we act too that the survival of our church is to employ and to draw the fittest in our community for the fittest in our community. Is this what we believe? Is that what the S-O-N of justice teaches us? Do we believe in the survival of the fittest over the thriving of the oppressed? 
Do we believe each one determines their fate based on how strong or smart or determined they are, based on their capacity alone? Paul says, God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. Jesus is not seeking justice for the fittest, but rather for the oppressed and disaffected from our community. It's for the folks who are not here. What happened on Pentecost that we missed then? We missed that this standoff between the Son God and the Son of God actually happened. It was a battle that the, the disciples, it was a battle for the disciples' worldview. And it took place before their very eyes and it changed their hearts. It wasn't any people. Now bring back Malachi 4.1. It wasn't actually any people who were burned up on the day of the Lord. Actually, 3,000 came. No, ironically, who was burned up was the sun god and any other idols that the disciples or their followers would look to for their fate, for their strength, for their justice. It says in Acts 20, 21, the sun will be changed into darkness and the moon will be changed into blood. I believe Jesus says, I am the son of justice. I eclipse the sun in the sky and turn you towards justice. My blood covers the moon and redeems it from you looking to it for strength. I have defeated all, God, all gods under the sun and the moon and the stars, any you might look to to worship, to direct you. To... In fact, I believe Jesus says, I am Melchizedek, which is translated king of justice. And we know that Hebrews talks about Jesus as being in the order of Melchizedek. He says, I am the king of justice, and you, if you will just bring me your idols, I will give you my Holy Spirit. If we want to be tr people who truly walk humbly before our God and do justice as Jesus did, we must ask Jesus to fill us with his spirit. Baptize us with his spirit. We've enjoyed the water baptism of John. Right? And we came humbly to that, to, to say that, Lord, I believe you've, give, you've saved my life. And now I will go into your death and rise into your life. Scripture says that Jesus will come and has come to baptize us with fire and the Spirit of God so that we may do what he did. Change our hearts, Lord. Change our worldviews. Let us desire to pursue justice for others from the very fruit of justice that we here have enjoyed. If we would but submit to our heavenly priest, Melchizedek, the king of justice, Jesus, he will confront and free us from our idols, our worldview that says, if you're strong, if you make the right decisions, if you have finances, if you have the right job, if you have the right social circles, then you can be in. That is not justice. 
And that actually is not what the church is about. God has given us the fruits of justice so that we may overflow and give it out to those who are in need of it. If we would but submit, he would move us as a whole community from self-interest to kingdom-mindedness to justice-focused. God wants to do supernatural acts through us as a whole. And he wants us all to be open to what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through us. But I think the question is, is do we want that? Do we want that as a community? God's justice is beyond our flesh. And it's beyond us to accomplish. So we must be people filled with the Spirit of God to restore people in a just way. I think we need to be filled with the Spirit for what happens at home. For parents to be given what God, the power of God to consistently and repeatedly help their little ones be restored to one another. To constantly be in the middle of conflict to define that conflict, to not let in, to go and chase after the one who runs off and does not want to come back. We need God's Spirit to help us restore the family back together in these little, trite, constantly bickering little fights that ultimately don't feel like they matter. But in the long run, we're teaching them that just because you fail, just because you hurt someone, doesn't mean that you cannot be restored. And it, we need to be able to show those who were hurt that we love them and we care for them and that they can be brought back together. We need the Spirit of God to do that supernatural act because <laughs> I feel like it needs some God's power to do it. We need some of God's Spirit at work because in many times we do, we do get privy to certain policies, behaviors, circumstances, and situations that are not right. And it requires courage and bravery to be able to stand in and say something to the system, to managers, to those in charge, to say this is not good. We need that. We need God's Spirit to be able to do that. We need God's Spirit in our schools. We need God's spirit so that we can fight for our kids who depend on us to protect them. And I don't mean suiting them up with, with steel backpacks and binders and sending them off into school. I'm talking about the spirit of God being in us so that we can be in the school and go wherever that fight takes us both economically and politically, so that we can actually do the work of protecting our kids. I just have to say that God did not give us the Second Amendment. Man did. God doesn't put a gun in anyone's hand any more than he put a weapon in Cain's hand to kill his brother. Jesus isn't a gun. America is. Jesus was a martyr for the kingdom of God. Which, which he says that, that that kingdom can come 
to earth as it does in heaven. When are we going to be brave enough to be to fight to be the light in our schools again to protect our kids? This kind of work can only be done by a people and a community filled with the Spirit of God. There's no other way that that can happen. Because it's God who's going to give the victory. It's God who needs to build the house for it to stand. Amen? Absolutely. So it's only when people who are filled with the Spirit of God for power that we can do these kinds of supernatural acts of restorative justice at home, at work, in our schools. And the church that wants to be a light on the hill and let justice roll down on God's protected class of people will open themselves up to God's Holy Spirit. The topic of justice is heavy. We're going to do a whole series about it in October. Justice and race and what God has to say to us. It can't all be contained in 30 minutes. I haven't actually solved it, right? And amen, because it's complicated, and it's, and it's kind of all twisted up. But I do want us to recognize who we are. We're not a nonprofit. We're not an NGO. We're God's church. So that's why we have a, the perspective of God's power in our lives, Because there is no, what makes us different is that there's no other group but the church that can be filled with the Spirit of God to do do God's work in God's way than the church. So let us not be a split-minded people about what we need to do. We need to be open to God's Spirit, and we need to be open to what God wants to do for the least of these in the world. Help us, Lord, to to receive that, to be open to what God wants to do in and through us. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I'm going to invite the prayer team. If you don't know what I'm talking about with the baptism of the Spirit, but you're curious, come and talk, come and talk to a prayer team member. Come and talk with them and be open to the Spirit of God doing a work in you in a dynamic and new way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I pray and ask, Lord God, that any of the words that I spoke today that are, that are not of you, I pray that they would just kind of whew, out the door. But Lord God, I pray that you would uh, allow to stay your conviction, your words about what you want us to hear about spirit, about, about justice, and about how you took this people on Pentecost and you made them a new people, a new humanity, a new family. And they did something beyond what is reasonable, beyond what is, what is understandable. They did it through your spirit. So, Lord God, I pray that we would be a people of your spirit and be a people of justice that is bringing those back to you, restoring those back to your image in very material and real ways. Help us, Lord, day to day to recognize what you may want us to do as individuals, and what you're calling us to as a community. Help us, Lord. Pour your spirit out upon us, for we need it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand? We'll continue in worship.